You're listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, and on today's episode, I'll be talking to Donna Dozier-Gordon, Head of Inclusion and Diversity at H&M. We'll be discussing H&M's D&I work, why it makes both ethical and commercial sense to bake diversity into everything you do as a brand, and how socially conscious Gen Z consumers are reshaping the cultural landscape. And stick around to the end for our next big opportunity feature, where we highlight a vital consumer need or challenge that's yet to be solved. But first, we kick off with the innovation of the week, where we showcase the one big new innovation you need to know about right now. This week is a great inclusive campaign from Dove, which I discussed with Lisa Payne, Stylus's head of beauty. So Lisa, we see a lot of diversity and inclusion initiatives from brands that are aimed at adult consumers, but you've recently written about a great diversity campaign from Dove that's engaging with children. Yeah, that's right. So Dove's new Kids Care Hair Love Collection really encourages children of colour to celebrate their natural hair texture. The range of products includes a shampoo, conditioner, detangler and curl cream. So they're all designed to nourish and enhance natural curls, coils, and waves. So for example, the shampoo is formulated with shea butter and coconut oil to restore moisture and shine. And how is Dove marketing these products to engage children? So the product packaging includes um, some really lovely positive affirmations like I'm caring, brilliant, and creative, sort of designed to boost kids' self-esteem and promote a confident relationship with their hair and beauty. And each bottle features the character of Zuri, a cartoon girl who wears fun and playful hairstyles to express the variety and beauty of natural hair. And Zuri, this cartoon girl, she comes from the short animated film Hair Love by director Matthew A. Cherry. Is that right? Yeah, Cherry directed the short film Hair Love in uh, 2019, funding it via Kickstarter as a way to increase representation of black hair on screen especially in mainstream animation. And the film actually won Best Animated Short at the 2020 Oscars. And as Cherry himself says, through this partnership, we will take Zuri off screen and into the real world to inspire hair love and build self-confidence in kids everywhere. We see so much diversity aimed at adults and we never see it for children. And actually what we need to be seeing is the introduction of inclusivity and a celebration of of lots of different skin tones and hair colors and textures at an early age so that kids feel confident growing up rather than feeling confident later as adults because there's been a shift and a change and you know having having campaigns and animations and things where children get to see themselves represented at an early age really does help with that and I think so this is a, a great product line but it is also combined with a really good campaign that sort of spreads that message. At Stylus, we closely track the evolution of more diverse engagement across all industries. One of the most exciting initiatives we've recently written about is H&M's Buy From A Black Woman project. I spoke to Donna Dozier-Gordon, Head of Inclusion and Diversity at H&M, about this, and about why, now more than ever, more diverse engagement is a commercial imperative for all brands. Without a focus on inclusion and diversity, which is what we call it at H&M, uh, a business simply can't be sustainable or relevant into the future. With a changing marketplace, the desires of customers are changing. And in order to connect with those customers, you have to really understand at a, at a deep 
and kind of visceral level what the drivers are for those communities, which means in terms of your talent efforts, in terms of making sure that those diverse perspectives are in place in your organization, and also in terms of, you know, how you present yourself to customers in the store environment. And I think also with that is the understanding that we don't exist in a vacuum in these companies that we're part of. We are part of the communities in which we live and work. And in order to connect with those communities in a meaningful way, they also must see that the commitment that we have to diversity and inclusion is real. And so in terms of, again, that sustainability, that long-term relevance, if a company is not engaged in this space, you know, it's, it's not very likely that they'll be able to maintain their relevance in the marketplace. For, from business in particular, having seen it change over 20 years, what were the challenges and roadblocks and what has, what has changed? Is it pressure from consumers? Is it something else? I mean, what, what do you think has changed? I think now consumers are shaping the demand or shaping the offering that companies have. And I think companies are recognizing that in order to connect, they have to reflect the needs of their consumers. You know, when you think about Gen Z in particular, Gen Z as a whole, I think, has a level of expectation that we probably didn't see in previous generations. And there are probably a number of reasons for that, you know, seeing parents working outside of the home and And, you know, at one point in the U.S., there was kind of a promise of lifetime employment, but, you know, seeing all those kinds of things change. And so I think their their orientation towards companies and, and loyalty and all of that has kind of shifted over time. And with that, I think they have certain things that they're looking for when they decide to patronize a company or work for a company. And I think part of that is driven by how well that company um, aligns with their own personal values. Things like commitments to DEI work, things like taking a stance on issues of social justice, environmental responsibility. These are all things that Gen Z, I think, is expecting from a company. The difference between them and previous generations is that if you don't have those things, they will simply not shop with you and they won't want to work with you. And I think There's also a diversity layer there because Gen Z as a whole is about half what we refer to in the States as minority population. It's comprised of minority populations or those groups that we traditionally refer to as minority. If you look at the younger segment of Gen Z, they're already more than half diverse. And so along with this kind of general set of expectations that Gen Z has, they are really a true embodiment of the growing diversity that we see in the marketplace. So let's talk a little bit about this, the, the work you've been doing with H&M, particularly the, the, the Buy From a Black Woman activations, which is something mm-hmm. that we have talked about on Stylus in our recent work, which, which we love. What have you learned from these initiatives and how are those learnings going to inform your work at H&M in the future? Black business owners or minority business owners in general are um, a key driver of the growth of small business. I believe Black women in particular represent about 40% of Black-owned businesses, and women are a core customer group for H&M. So with that recognition, 
with the challenges that minority business owners face, you know, with this desire again to lift up community and provide kind of some solutions to um, some of the, the lack of access kinds of issues, we forged this partnership with Buy From a Black Woman, which is an organization that is devoted to the uplift, the inspiration, and the empowerment of, of Black female business owners. And so how that looks for us is we sponsored and helped to present the Buy From a Black Woman Inspire Tour last summer. We went to 16 cities across the country, and in five of those, we had pop-ups actually in H&M stores featuring the products of the Buy From a Black Women women vendors that were in those locales. And it was an amazing, amazing experience for us because it demonstrated in a very tangible way the impact that our support had. So for many of these women, it was the first time that they had seen their products in a retail environment. So I think it gave them a higher view of the potential that their business has. Many of them completely sold out of their product as a result of the spotlight that H&M had put on them. There's one anecdote that I can share of one of the business owners who, because of the relationship with um, H&M and the additional presence that that helped this business to establish, she's now debt-free and she's purchased a, a large home for her and her family. And that's just one of, you know, many success stories that came from the Inspire Tour. I, I love what you said earlier there about brands being part of the community because it, you feel, it feels like it gets forgotten quite a lot, especially with retail brands. But also at the same time, it feels like in the past couple of years, because of the pandemic, because of the way that our worlds have shrunk a little bit, people are much more attuned to that idea of local community, of what's around them. Again, going back to some of the comments that I made about Gen Z, I think that is the expectation um, going forward. I don't think that's going to change. And I, and I really think that that started even before the pandemic, this desire to have different relationship with those companies that you patronize. Like consumers want to know what is the story behind this brand? Who owns the brand? What are some of their practices? And these are measures of whether or not consumers will support you. And I, I think that has been heightened certainly during the pandemic. But I think that is kind of a, a way to operate from here on out. And I think, you know, in terms of the evolution of DEI, DEI efforts were in the early days, many times confined to HR practices. I think it's absolutely necessary and critical that HR um, is an element of DEI, but it's really just the beginning. In order to really be successful in this space, it's not just an inside kind of um, situation. It has to be inside out. You are drawing employees from the community. So having kind of a higher, and certainly customers, having a higher level of focus on diversity, I think is absolutely essential. And so one of the things that I, I love about my role here is I report to our president for our region's America. So this is our leader in the Americas, and he's focused on inclusion and diversity. So 
you know, everything that's happening in the business, I'm able to touch with that kind of position. And I think that, you know, more and more, I think you'll see that kind of orientation. You know, diversity is also becoming much more data-driven in terms of really, really measuring progress. You know, the whole adage about what gets inspected, you know, gets done. And so having that level of focus allows us to drive accountability against the goals that we have in IND. And a piece of the community element that we've added just recently is a focus on supplier diversity. So this is kind of a build on the relationship that we have with Buy for Black Women, but best practice of diversity initiatives is to also focus on procurement um, and purchasing opportunities and making sure to proactively, intentionally include diverse sources of supply in those activities. So I think for all the right reasons, we focused a lot of attention over the last two years, um, specifically on the African-American community, but really our, our desire around inclusion is to include all underrepresented and all marginalized groups. So our supplier diversity initiative will do just that. Now the next big opportunity. This is where we look at consumer needs and gaps in the market that still need to be addressed by brands, businesses, and startups. I asked Donna for her thoughts. Technology has become an absolutely indispensable part of our lives. With that, there is some loss of privacy. There's some good in that in terms of being able to target and customize offers, but there's a downside to that as well. And, you know, how we can protect consumers' data in a world where technology is so important is something that I feel still represents an opportunity. I discussed Donna's comments with Estella Shardlow, Stylus's Senior Editor of Consumer Lifestyle and Technology. So there's definitely a trust gap that tech needs to bridge when it comes to consumers' online privacy. We know this is an issue that consumers are increasingly wary and anxious about around the world. KPMG released a report recently that showed 86% of Americans feel a growing concern about data privacy. And this unease seems quite well-founded when the same study showed 7 in 10 companies increased their collection of personal consumer data over the past year, and some 62% admitted their company should do more to strengthen existing data protection measures. So that doesn't sound too encouraging. And this is changing people's online behaviours. Globally, we've seen around three in five consumers are employing an ad blocker when they're online, and about the same proportion use a private browser mode. Now we're seeing some startups appealing to this mindset by really pushing their privacy credentials. One example is Brave, which in um, the US has created the first fully independent search engine. It doesn't track users' searches or clicks at all by using its own built-from-scratch index. So that means it's impossible for it to share, sell, or lose your personal data. That's already got around 50 million monthly users. Then in terms of what big tech's doing, Apple and Google are both doubling down on privacy. Google just the other day announced it will be rolling out its privacy sandbox project across Android, which will overhaul how the ad tracking system works and limit the data that app developers can collect about users. 
Then on Chrome, its latest plan is the Topics API, which is essentially a interest-based system where advertisers can only place targeted ads under a limited number of subjects that are based on the user's recent browser activity, such as fitness or food and drink. But users can view and delete these topics if they want to. Of course, Apple made waves last year with its app tracking transparency feature, and that lets users choose whether advertisers can track them. This has been a big headache for the likes of Meta, who said the changes would cost them $10 billion in lost sales. So this is really a reckoning for companies whose business models rely on targeted ads. It's also worth noting that in January, the UN launched a lab that's dedicated to testing privacy-enhancing technologies. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of this. Definitely a subject we'll be keeping the eye on in Stylus's tech directory. That's it for this edition of Future Thinking. I hope you enjoyed it, and I'd love to hear your feedback. On Twitter, we're at Stylus underscore live, and I'm at Christian Ward. And on Instagram, you can find us at WeAreStylus. See you next time. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available. 